Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Trip Lanier, author of This Book Will Make You Dangerous. And if you want to learn how to build a network that makes you dangerous, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. We just met and now we are good friends. So yeah, listen. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I am speaking with Trip Linear. Trip is a professional coach, author of This Book Will Make You Dangerous, and host of the New Man podcast, Beyond the Macho Jerk and the New Age Wimp, which for over a decade now, which is crazy, has been downloaded millions of times. Since 2005, he spent thousands of hours coaching people all around the world to get out of the rat race become an authority in their field, and make a great living doing the work they were put on this earth to do. Over the years, he's designed several businesses to support a simple lifestyle focused on freedom, ease, meaning, and fun. Guys, it's going to be such an amazing conversation, just as usual here on the show. Can't wait to get into some of these things that we're going to talk about with Trip. But first, before we get into that, I have to ask you a quick question. Have you ever tried booking big names for your podcast, your YouTube channel, your virtual summit, or other content, but they're just getting lost in email hell, being locked out by gatekeepers, and just unable to confirm a date with them? Or maybe you want to bring more attention to the content or the business that you have by being a guest on other people's shows, but you're just not sure how to formulate your pitch or get a hold of the right hosts. And trust me, as a top 25 business podcaster, I've been through it all too. This is the exact reason that I created this software called Guestio. It's an all-in-one tool 
dedicated to helping you streamline your guesting workflow and grow your audience through finding, booking, and managing the top tier guests and shows that you actually want. Discover new guests and platforms, schedule interviews on your booking calendar, communicate seamlessly with our built-in messaging, download an easily shareable press kit complete with bio, headshots, links, and anything else that you might need for your creation process, and manage all of that from one single simple dashboard. That's right. You can book guests like Manny Pacquiao, Jordan Harbinger, Lori Harder, Brandon Turner, and many, many others without ever having to leave Guestio. So if you're tired of being rejected and ignored by the top guests and platforms you want and sick of using 12 different tools to manage your podcasting or interview workflow, then you're going to want to head over to guestio.com right now to sign up for your free account and start using Guestio today. That's G-U-E-S-T-I-O.com. It's time to build your network with Guestio. Trip, what is up, man? Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and talk today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was already admiring the microphone that you're using because you sound really great. And uh, it is the microphone that uh, we recently upgraded to. And when we're talking about the fact that you've been podcasting for 13 years now, man, talk to me about, this is just a selfish question before we get into the real stuff, but talk to me about your initial setup that you had when you first started podcasting? Well, I mean, I I fell backwards into podcasting. If we want to talk about networking, it was who I knew. And I was coaching some founders of this startup that was a podcasting network. And from one thing led to another. And they're like, hey, you should have your own podcast. And I was like, I don't even know what a podcast is. (laughs) Um, Nobody did. Yeah. And they had a facility with people there that recorded it and edited everything and posted everything. And so that really helped get it off the ground. And then unfortunately, that business kind of went to the wayside, but I inherited the show and, and kept it going. And so, yeah, it's, nice, been, man. it's been wild west. really, really nice to have that opportunity. But it's one of those things that you never really... I couldn't have planned for. It was never part of the vision to, to have a podcast. And I've been grateful that it's helped me connect with so many people around the world. No kidding. Yeah. Amazing connection tool there. So let's go ahead and build some context here trip, go back to the beginning and talk to me about what it was like being 11 year old trip linear, like family life, you know, what were your parents doing? How did that, you know, play into some of the decisions that you were making? And uh, what were some of your interests? And what were you doing then? Let's see, I would have been in, uh, I guess, middle school, I, I grew up in a rural, small town in Florida, right in the armpit of Florida, surrounded by swamps and orange groves, there wasn't much of a, <laughs> it wasn't much to look forward to. This was pre internet, this was pre like, is there really a world outside of this town? And so I spent a lot of my time on a skateboard, a lot of my time on a bike, learning tricks and all of that kind of thing. And so you know, you're, tell, you're, telling me that, you're telling me that Miami is, doesn't represent all of Florida? Not at all. Miami was another country. I mean, it, it was, even though it was 150 miles away, it was just, you know, it might as well have been thousands of miles away. So there, there was just no, you know, influence from the bigger cities living in the middle like that. So it seemed pretty bleak at that time. I, I didn't really know what the world held for me. And when we would get out and do things, we were usually doing things in pretty remote places like down in the Keys or, you know, we were diving and fishing and, and getting away from stuff. So I really didn't have a, a great sense of what the world had to offer. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed 
survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent Fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, right. What were your parents doing at the time? My parents, my dad was a cop. He was a state investigator. He worked, you know, worked bigger things like homicides and, you know, big drug cases. And that was actually a really big deal back then. That was all the, all the cocaine was coming in through the Florida. And so that was, it was a little bit exciting kind of overhearing some of the conversations that were, that were being done. And then my mom was a school teacher. They were divorced and I was living with my dad and my stepmother and my stepbrother. And we were getting by, we were having, we were doing the best we could. What was the general consensus in your household growing up in terms of how you should approach life post high school? Was it a big pressure to go? I mean, I assume with your dad being a cop and then your mom being a school teacher, there might've been a little bit of a dichotomy there. I think that there was a sense like you're definitely going to go to college. You're definitely going to get out of here. There wasn't, there wasn't a future in the small town where I lived. There were no opportunities there. I mean, this was a Mm -hmm. town that Northerners flocked to in order to sweat and die, essentially. Like Mm -hmm. there was just nothing there. And so, you know, it was like, I had to get out. I was going to do something. And I was a very creative kid. I spent a lot of time drawing. I was always doing something with music or drawing. And so it was always ingrained in me at an early age that I was going to do something in the arts. I was going to do something creative. And that's exactly where I ended up going. I, when I went off to college that I, I got into art school. Oh, nice. And where did you go? Like, did you get out of the state or just out of the city? Or what was the plan there? I went to Florida State, which was about five hours away. And that was just a whole new world. And now, you know, okay. being in a university, there were, it was this hub into all of these different lanes in life that you could go into psychology, you could go into law, you could go into medicine, you could go into whatever. And so I really found like, oh, this is where I can find myself and who I really am. And immediately I started a band and, you know, really saw school as training ground to help me navigate life. I didn't care about grades. I didn't care about, you know, kind of jumping through the hoops of the university. It was more like, I need to learn whatever I can here that to best prepare me for creating the kind of business that I want. I was clear that I wanted to have my own business. I wanted to support my own lifestyle. I wasn't interested in jumping through hoops or climbing some corporate ladder. I was like, I just need a certain amount of money to get by so I can make music and surf and travel. And then I want to I want to be able to have that flexibility to create and do the things that I want to do with my life. And so five months after leaving school, I started my first business. I started a video production company. Okay. So that seemed to be the path for you then after you graduated was just like, okay, well, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do all these other things and have the freedom to be able to do these things unless I'm in control. Or did that come out of like a a need or a necessity that you had? Why start the video production company that soon after college? I met a, a friend of my dad's who had a 
creative design company, like a, you know, an ad company down in Miami. And I was, I think it was about in 10th grade or 11th grade. And my dad took me down there to meet him. And I hung out with that guy for a day or so. And I saw his agency. I saw how it worked. I, it just plugged right in. I was like, wow, you can make a living being creative. You can make a living like mm-hmm. basically goofing off with people and coming up with funny ideas and, and then utilize them in whatever, programming, ads, whatever. And I was just like, oh, this is for me. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. Doesn't have, you don't have to have 50 people in the agency. It can be really small, be really nimble. And so I, that vision just got cemented at that time that I wanted something small and nimble. I felt like my chops were good enough creatively and what I could do with my hands in terms of making things that I could do pretty well. And so, you know, being that young, there's nothing really to push back and say, no, you can't. And I look back on it now and I was like, gosh, I really was bold. But at the same time, <laughs> yeah. I was used to being broke. So it, was, it wasn't like, you know, well, if I fail, I'm back to being broke again. So it, <laughs> yeah, it didn't right. have a, I didn't have too far to fall. I mean, the first year or two of that business, I was still living with a bunch of my college buddies and right. everybody's sitting around on the couch scratching their butts. So it, was, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, yeah. It was, like uh, you're just happy if you can like, like risk. You're, you're just happy if you can pitch in for a box of pizza and a six pack that weekend. Like you're not, don't really sure. have too many. Yeah, right. I think that really brings us to a really big principle out here, Trip, that I think is useful for everybody across the board which is that usually we paint the worst case scenario to be so much worse in our minds than it truly actually is in real life. Because we're painting the worst case scenario in the context of how other people will perceive the thing that we're doing if we fail. The only reason that that would be such a big deal to you at that time would be if you were looking at everybody else and being like, well, what is everybody going to say about me? What is everybody going to think about me if they see that, you know, Trip started this business and then he didn't do well with it and it failed and he lost money? Like that's ultimately the worst case scenario is just a bunch of other people saying a bunch of other stuff. But usually those people aren't your friends. They're not your family. They're not the people that like actually love you and support you in your life. And so many times people make decisions to play it safe and not go take those risks and not, you know, quote unquote risks and not go pursue the thing that allows them to live the life that they want just because they're not even worried about losing the money. They're just worried about other people seeing them lose the money. Does that make sense? makes total sense. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about are the core themes of the book that I wrote. This book will make you dangerous. It's this idea of what we've adapted to believe is danger in our lives these days. And so... Yeah, for a lot of us, you know, we'll get by financially, right? It may not be, we may not live like kings and queens, but we will get by. Yeah. That's not an issue. We're not going to starve to death. But that real big one that, that really seems to, to grab us by the plums is this, is this fear of what will they think of me? And I've coached people all up and down the socioeconomic scale. Most of the time when somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I don't know what I should do or I don't know how I'm going to go about doing this. When we really start to dig in, they have clarity. What they're really saying is, I don't know what to do that won't make me look like a moron if I fail. I don't know what to do that if it goes sideways where I won't be criticized or I don't know what to do that if I get too big, then I'll become a target for someone. So most of the time, the ideas that we have, the dreams that we have, the things that we really want to experience in the short time that we have to be alive, the thing that gums up the gears is that some version of that, I can't get over myself. I can't seem to get out of my own way. I'm, I'm really afraid of, of how I'm going to be perceived either by myself or by the others. What are some ways that we can potentially work through some of those issues? The short answer is get over yourself. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I say that... <laughs> I say that lovingly, but it's really hard if you buy into this idea that you're a big deal or if you really buy into this idea that anybody cares, that really cares, it gets to be, it's really hard. If you zoom out and you realize, okay, I'm one of seven something billion people on the planet. Maybe I'm not such a big deal. Maybe what I'm doing and what <laughs> yeah. I'm wearing and what I choose to do with my life is going to be unnoticed. And that may be far 
more scary for some to realize that they're not that important. And what they tend to do may not be that important or impactful. And I, but I think it's a great place to start there because there's a freedom that shows up. There's a quote that I put in the book from Bruce Lee. It's like, freedom finds the man the moment that he stops worrying about what others think. Mm-hmm. And there's a relaxation that comes there. And you start to get in touch with your own mortality. You start to realize, wait a second, do I want to spend my entire life in a box playing it safe yes. so that somebody doesn't say something, whatever, sideways about me? And I'm raising my hand. I mean, this is I wrote this book for me, not just for others people, but for me to remind myself that all the things that I really want in life are going to be on the other side of that stretch zone or that, that place of like, oh, what, do I want to see myself in this way as a noob? Do I want to see, see myself in this awkward place again? Do I want to be starting over or whatever that fear is? And just recognizing, you know what? If I can get over that, wow, look at all the opportunities that are available to me. And I find that it's a lot easier to do this when we're not going it alone. When we're surrounding ourselves with others that are doing this, it's like skinny dipping. You know, it's like, yeah, you can go by yourself. It's like, all right, we're all going to go together. Everybody get naked now or, and everybody jumps in or, you know, it's getting on the dance floor. Nobody wants to be the one guy on the dance floor. But if you get a bunch of other people together and you all act like idiots together in your own mind, right? It's suddenly fun. You're laughing. You're not traumatized. Sure. And so I think that's one of the, one of the benefits of, of having other people in your life that are on this growth path. So to get back a little bit more into your story specifically here, Trip. So you get out, you start your first business. You say it takes a couple of years. You're still living with some buddies from college. Talk to me about what happens next for you in your career. Let's see. I ran that company for a total of 12 years. Wow. And I built it up to do exactly what I set out to do. Like I was making great money. I had a wonderful guy working for me. He took so much of the responsibility. It opened the doors for me to really follow my own calling in the world and like, like started going to these growth retreats and, you know, personal growth retreats, spiritual retreats. I was going on meditation and stuff. I just was exploring the world. And I started to realize, wait a second, I, I kind of started this business on a whim. I never really set out that this was going to be the thing I do for the rest of my life. I felt that I was called to do something greater. Hmm. Then I started to be like, why can't I be happy here? I started to feel this contraction. It's like, what's wrong with me? So many people would kill to have this business. So many people would kill to have this really nice house in my mid to late 20s. And, you know, to, to have all the toys and to have the money in the bank and that kind of thing. And I wrestled with myself like something was wrong with me instead of just listening and say, well, what is it that I want to experience next? And I spent a few years in that place of wondering what was wrong with me and living this fragmented life. Why can't I just be happy? But I knew that there was a next phase for that life that I wasn't just going to coast for the next 40, 50 years. That set me on this path to becoming a coach and eventually selling the company, selling my house and moving out to Colorado. I love that story, man, because I feel like it's one that we just, we hear on repeat all the time, especially here on the show. And for any show that talks to a bunch of high level people like yourself, who've gone through those experiences where it's like, you do all the things that you think are the things that will bring you everything that you want. And then you climb the mountain, you get to the very top of it and you realize like, this is the wrong mountain. This isn't fulfilling that thing inside of me. This isn't, this doesn't bring me that, you know, level of happiness or fulfillment that, that I thought it would. And like you said, it almost makes you feel like, like champagne problems, right? It almost makes you feel like almost guilty for feeling that way because like, man, there's a bunch of people that would kill to be in this position, but this isn't me. This isn't who I know myself to be. And so you have a couple options at that point. You can continue doing what you think that everybody else would do in the situation, or you can do what's best for you and for the path that you're going down, which ultimately, ironically enough, also becomes the best path for everybody else because now you are doing the thing that you are, you know, more fulfilled or called to do, so to speak, and are, have been able to help a lot of people in that process. So 
Talk to me specifics here a little bit about how to transition when you are making a big pivot in your career. I mean, at that point, you've literally, your entire professional experience at that point, Trip, is working at this company, right? Like you graduated college, you started the company, you did it for 12 years, you're 32, 33, or whatever it is that you are at that time. Now you're going to reinvent yourself and go down a completely different path. Talk to me about how somebody can actually make a pivot and do it successfully the way you did. Well, I mean, the first thing is to recognize we're not on the wrong path. That There's just seasons. Everything has cycles, everything has seasons, everything has beginnings and ends. I think it's crazy crazy to think that somehow we're going to find this thing in our 20s or we're going to find the one partner and then that's it. It just, it stays static. Hmm. I think life's a lot more enjoyable when you recognize there's going to be an arc to everything. And hopefully these are nice, long, satisfying arcs instead of, oh, I'm not happy right now. I'm with, this person must be the wrong person and they're terrible and I'm going to blame them and they're going to blame me and all this kind of stuff. Just what you start to zoom out and you recognize, hey, maybe it's not a fit anymore. I grew so much physically, literally through the first 20 something years of my life. Why would I stop growing emotionally? Why would my values stop shifting and growing as I gain more experiences? The reason why I bring this up is that most of the time when we create this suffering of there must be something wrong with me, it's a lot easier when we realize, hey, this is just the natural growth path that if we are truly living, then we will continue to grow as we get older. And that can be kind of scary because it's going to lead us into what we perceive to be dangerous, which is uncertainty. But on the other end, if, if we expect it, then, then we can welcome it and be like, okay, well, I, I knew this was going to come. I knew at some point that this shift was going to come and that we were going to be looking at the next phase of whatever that might be. I think it's important to underline that. And then in terms of making a pivot, man, I wish I could say I was graceful in that, but I learned some really powerful lessons and I, and I made a lot of mistakes, which was I had enough money after selling the company and selling other assets and stuff that I could just basically screw around. I didn't have to go in. I didn't have to make a big change and start earning money right away. And what I found was that as long as I could buffer myself from anything uncomfortable and taking risks, I would do that instead. And what that allowed me to do is just spin my wheels for two, three years in that process. And I was not happy. I was one of these things, like I sold my company and went out to, went out to Hawaii and it's like, man, you must be on top of the world. You sold your company in Hawaii and blah, blah, blah. I was like, actually, I feel lost. I hope nobody asks me what I'm going to do next because I have no freaking clue. There's a thing that happens for us when we don't have a place to apply ourselves or to do our work or to create or put something out in the world. At least for me, it's a terrible feeling. It's like, wait a second, what am I doing? It's, I'm here to create. I'm here to express. I'm here to do things. And with living in that uncertainty of I don't know can be just really hard. And I'm not alone. I meet a lot of guys that have been fortunate enough to sell a company. But when we get into really deep conversations, they, they feel more lost than ever. So that pivot can be really hard. And I've got a lot of compassion for guys that are doing that. They feel guilty even talking about it because there's so many people that are working 60, 70 hours a week and they're like sitting sure. on their ass and they're like, yeah, they just like, wow, I can't, I can't complain really. But yeah, making that pivot, I think it's, in, it's important to recognize that everything's an experiment. And what I found was that I wanted to drill down and find the perfect plan. And rashly, I wanted to be able to see how everything was going to turn out. I wanted to see how steps five, six, and seven were going to turn out before I committed. I wanted to remove any possibility that I was going to be uncomfortable, that I was going to be, you know, waste my time or energy or money. I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to look like a moron if I went down this road. And what I found is that I ended up doing nothing because there was risk at every turn. And after a certain point, I was like, I can't keep waiting for this perfect plan to show up. I need to start experimenting. If I'm really here on this planet to feel alive and to feel engaged and to feel like I'm doing something meaningful, then let's just start there. Let's just dig in and start growing that. Like add a little fuel, add a little air, like it's a flame and then build that fire. But for many of us and myself included in this, 
I was sitting around waiting. I was up in the bleachers instead of getting in the game and being willing to screw up. And like we talked about earlier, look like a moron from time to time. So coming back to that experimentation mentality was key. No kidding. Yeah. That one thing you mentioned there at the end, I think is enough to keep people doing what they're doing for the rest of their life because they're too afraid at age, you know, 42 or 38 to start over at the bottom of this new thing that they're trying to do. You know what I mean? Like, well, you know, I've been doing this other thing for 18 years and I'm really good at it, but I don't really want to be doing that anymore. And like you said, maybe it was a cycle, it was a phase, but now to the point where it's burning me out and I don't have any interest or desire to keep doing it, I want to do this other thing. But if I do this other thing, I'm going to have to start over kind of like I started at the beginning of that other thing that I was doing for 18 years. And that by itself is enough to prevent them from taking that leap of faith. And like you said, just being an epic experimenter in life. And uh, I think that ultimately is a big mistake for a lot of people. So I appreciate the thought out answer there, Trip. I want to ask you just a little bit about your book and then, and then we'll kind of shift it into the conversation of a little bit more about relationship building specifically. Talk to me about the decision that prompted you to write the book and then the top one or two things that you really want people to take away from this book will make you dangerous. I get a ton of books as a podcast host. I get, mm. I get a lot of books and unfortunately I throw most of them away, which sounds harsh and I feel bad saying that. The reason why I throw most of them away is because most of them are designed to help us get better at a, playing a game that we just can't win. It's how to be better at running the hamster wheel, how to be better at chasing more, 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 how to be better at kind of, you know, puffing ourselves up or being more comfortable or being more important. And I see a lot of suffering that's associated with that. So I throw most of that stuff in the trash. I don't, I don't care about it. What I wanted to write was the book that I wish I could have read 20 something years ago. At that time, the books that I was reading, they were kind of woo woo. They were kind of over the top in terms of philosophical stuff. They weren't things that I could hand off to my buddies. And so it was like, wait a second, I want something that's really deep, really meaningful, but also laugh out loud funny. It's something that your buddies are going to pass around and give to one another. But then also at the same time, be like, wow, that really impacted me. And so that was the aim. Could I do that? Could I bring these stories together, but at the same time say, look, here's what really matters. Here's what really works. I've been doing this in the trenches with people for the last 15 plus years. I think this would be beneficial to you. Try it out. And so that was the spirit of writing the book. Where is the best place for people to go pick up a copy? Do you have a specific place that you prefer them to go pick it up or basically anywhere? Amazon's the best place. People all around the world, it's the, it's the easiest to just pick it up on Amazon. Perfect. So this book will make you dangerous. Go pick it up on Amazon. Guys, I know Trip has interviewed some of our favorites here on the show, like people like Mark Manson. And uh, it sounds like this book is very similar to the writing style of Mark Manson, which was very deep philosophical truths, but also in a way that you don't have to uh, you know, sit down and pour over it for three hours to try to figure out what the author meant by it. So go pick up a copy of This Book Will Make You Dangerous. As always here on the show, when we recommend a book, don't wait. Don't wait to go pick it up. Pick it up right now so you don't forget about it. Add it to your reading list. Trip, I want to ask you this question because this is the question that I ask every single guest that's ever come on the show. I'm curious to hear your answer. Who you know or what you know, which of those two do you view as being more important and why? I think who you know is, is more important and there's a caveat in there, which is I know a lot of people that know lots of people, but they're douchey. Um, you know, there's a, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't trust them or the nature of their interaction style is transactional. And so I think the who you know aspect of it is, are you trustworthy or do you only show up or you only respond when you want something? I think, unfortunately, that's what, when we think about when we think of networking is that schmoozing. It's like, hey, yeah, I'm totally here to be your friend. I'm totally here to support you as long as you have something for me. The matching mentality, um, yeah. Matching mentality. Yeah, exactly. So I would say that we can know lots of people. We can have lots of people in our contacts book. But you know, for me, I'd rather have a short list of people that I deeply trust mm. and that, that deeply care about me than you know, a wide expanse of who's who of folks. As you look 
over your career now, which has been absolutely incredible, some of the things that you've been able to do, are there any relationships that come to mind where maybe when you first met this person or was introduced to this person, you, you didn't really think much of it, but then ended up later on in retrospect, looking back, becoming somebody that was a huge part of your life or led to some really big moments, realizations for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just off the top of my head, when I first, I was in college and I needed to have an internship and I looked in the yellow pages and you know, oh, this guy's got the coolest ad in here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get an internship with him to do this uh, video production work. And the guy's name was Glenn Sharon, and uh, this was in Tallahassee. And I ended up being an intern with him. But our relationship blossomed into we could talk about deep philosophical things. We could talk about meditation. We could talk about all these different things. But on the other end, he opened so many doors for me and my business. Immediately, he vouched for me. I was this 22-year-old kid. I was scared to tell people how young I was because I didn't mm. think anybody would. T- Seriously, I remember when I turned yeah. 27, I was like, oh, finally, I can tell people my age because that sounds a little <laughs> bit more respectful. That's why but, I grew uh, a beard. That's, that's exactly why I have a beard. People just assume that yeah. I'm in my 30s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but Glenn, I, you know, it was one of those relationships where when it came time for me to start my coaching business, I realized how much Glenn was, was responsible for the growth of my first business because I was doing my coaching business without him at that time. And he was just such an ally and supported me throughout the whole time. And, and we navigated a very business-like relationship. We had lots of contracts and agreements where we would do things for each other in that way. But I also think there was a, a genuine care and love for one another, which is rare in the business world. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. I'd love to chat a little bit longer, but we are running up, running short on time here. So I want to move on to the last segment. Some like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready? Let's go. What profession other than your own do you think that it'd be fun to attempt? I've always wanted to be a Top Gear host. I've always uh-huh, wanted to yeah. drive cars and uh, play pranks on others. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> if you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who'd it be? You know, Eddie Van Halen just died yesterday. I got to meet him one time, but I would love to just sit down and talk with him for a while. He's top of mind, just because I've just been thinking about it for the last 24 hours. So, How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? <laughs> I want to say none of the above. Okay. Um, <laughs> people are like, what books should That's you read? I was, like, other, I was like, other than mine, turn it off. Uh, you probably <laughs> would gain a lot more insight by listening to yourself, by turning off the noise and allowing the murkiness in your mind to settle. And you, you suddenly you may find the clarity you're looking for. It's, it's already within you instead of in some you know, random book or blog. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I'm fortunate enough to wake up without an alarm. I get up and uh, goof off with my daughter while she eats breakfast. I'll have a cup of coffee while talking to her. Maybe I'm the one that takes her to school that morning. And then I meditate for 20 minutes and then uh, kind of slowly get into my day, whether it's emails or, or that kind of thing. But um, it's pretty chill. I don't, I don't usually like to hit the gas until a few hours into the day. And if there's waves, I'm going surfing first thing too. What is your go-to pump-up song? Uh, we're on a Van Halen theme, so let's go with uh, Panama. <laughs> what is something, uh, putting business aside, what's something that you're just not very good at generally? Oh my God, be here all day. I can't ollie on a skateboard. Can't mm. do it. 
Yeah, gotcha. I mean, most things on a skateboard, I can't well. do. So <laughs> yeah, that's a good caveat. Yeah. As we get everything wrapped up here, bro, what's one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? Easiest is the newmanpodcast.com. Obviously, just wherever you go find podcasts, the new man is the, that'll be the doorway to all the other stuff we got going on. Perfect. So if you're listening to this right now, you are obviously a podcast fan. So pull up whatever podcast listening app you're listening to right now and go search the new man podcast. Make sure you subscribe, download uh, some of the things that Trip has over there. Uh, reach out to him, say what's up. Tell him you heard about him here on the show. Trip, thanks so much for coming on, man. This is a, a really fun conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you, Travis. I really appreciate it. Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com group to join my free Facebook group, The Lounge. I'll see you over there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.